Welcome to the Highland Gospel Mission, a podcast to all nations. Each week, Pastor Keith will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message from Highland Southern Baptist Church to the rest of the world. If you have a Bible, we encourage you to read along and study the Word for deeper understanding. Now, here's Pastor Keith with this week's message. If you would get your Bibles, open them up to the book of Hebrews chapter 13. This is going to be a, a quick recap of last week's message. Uh, last week's message was supposed to cover almost the entirety of Hebrews chapter 13. <clears throat> I would say that I undershot that just a little bit, um, or I should say I overshot my expectations just a little bit, only making it through about six or seven verses. Um, but uh, I'm going to read through the, all of the verses together and kind of give you a little bit of a recap of what last week's message was. Um, and it's, it's important for us to remember that during this time, um, during this time, there was a lot of persecution that was going on in the church. Um, not, I mean, persecution going on to the church. So, uh, have you ever noticed that when we are going through things that challenge us emotionally or spiritually, how much heavier everything else seems to be? So these would have been individuals who were not only having probably friends and family who were being who were being arrested by the Romans, um, but were probably also having some family members uh, and even themselves being arrested by the Romans. And they were doing very very terrible things to the individuals. The Romans were doing terrible things to the individuals who were who were being arrested. Uh, many of them were being sacrificed for the entertainment of uh, of others uh, within the Roman Colosseum. Um, in some cases, individuals would be imprisoned but wouldn't be hauled off. But uh, in any case, not one of them was treated very, very well. Uh, he starts this, uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1, he starts it off with this main statement here, let the love of the brethren continue. So he's talking about us as individuals, we need to be steady as much as we can. Steady in the love that we have for one another. And when we're all under, under difficulties and challenges and struggles, it can be pretty easy for us to be individuals who look out for ourselves. The difficulty with looking out for ourselves is, though, that, that we become individuals who are selfish. And when we become, when we become selfish, the um, fallen human nature uh, is actually what appeals to us as individuals. And the things that he's going to mention next are the things that the fallen human nature would actually appeal to. So in verse 2 he says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them, and those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves also are in the body. Let, mar- let, the marriage- let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Let your character be free from the love of money, being content with what you have, for he himself has said... I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What shall man do to me? So the, the, big, the universal question in this is, <clears throat> who is it that really makes sure you're taken care of? And even though we would say in Christian circles, the right answer is God's the one who takes care of us, right? But when do we tend to ask God for help or guidance in any of these matters? Is it before we try to fix it? Or is it after we unsuccessfully try to fix it? 
we're usually make a mess, right? Well, we make a mess because when we start relying on ourselves, then we have instantly and immediately distanced ourselves from God and who He is. And if we distance ourselves from God, we lose a hint of our morality, of our ethics, of our faith. We step away from God, and that's the consequence. So what are the types of things that go away if we lose focus on Christ and who, and who Christ has called us to be? Are we as hospitable to people when we're selfish? We're not. Do we even think about people who are imprisoned wrongfully? Again, when he's talking about the people being imprisoned here, he's not talking about people who've been imprisoned for stealing things. He's talking about the people who have been imprisoned under their circumstances for believing in Jesus Christ. But how many times do we think about those individuals who are actually imprisoned when we're focused on ourselves? And who in the world today doesn't struggle with at least some kind of a financial difficulty? And how do we decide to fix that? We allow ourselves to be overcome with the need and decide to start doing whatever we need to do in order to accomplish that, right? And it's a line that we have to fall into that, is, that we have to be responsible, amen? I mean, according to the Bible, you don't work, you don't eat. Amen? But then if we work too much, then we start cutting the individuals in our lives who benefit from our presence, and we stop being the influence that, that God's called us to be in the lives of other people. So the first thing that we've got to realize is the answer to the question, who is it that takes care of us? Because under no, who have, you ever, who have you ever met who became more diligent when they lost their minds? Or become more caring when they lose their minds? Or become more sure that God is going to take care of them when they, when they lose their minds? And don't get me wrong, folks. I, this is not something that's easy. It's not my entire life I've been shredded from the inside because of these conflicts you find yourself in any type of a difficulty and the pull is there you ever been tempted it says to hold marriage in honor right and let the marriage bed be undefiled those temptations are out there and if we're going to be individuals who are going to fight off those temptations, then it has to be having a, ground, a grounded relationship with Jesus Christ and it being centered on him. If we're going to prevent the selfishness from coming in and us seeking comfort and peace and satisfaction from all of these other sources, then we're going to destroy everything. Our faith is in Christ. And it has to reside in Christ. And we have to realize that what we have, God's given us. And what we don't have, God's not allowed us to have. And you're certainly welcome to go out there and get whatever you want to to try to fill up whatever void in your life that's missing. And when you fight it, it's going to shred you on the inside. Because this is the battle warring in the members that Paul talked about. The difference between living in the flesh and living in the spirit. Here's where this applies to this letter. Those who believed in Judaism, Jesus Christ, previous to him dying, that was all that there was for the Jews, was Judaism. And Judaism was intent on personal responsibility for everything that you do. They lived under the law. 
the commands, personal responsibility for everything that they did. They even went so far as trying to be so cautious in what it was that they felt that they needed to do that they went overboard and made it completely and totally contrary to what God wanted them to do on the opposite side. They lived their, law, their, their lives according to the rules and they constantly felt like that they were the ones that were responsible for self-adjusting. I'm going to say something cautiously here because this does not remove responsibility from anybody. If you're a human being who believes in Jesus Christ, who thinks it's your responsibility to self-adjust according to your list of rules, you're living in a form of bondage that continually keeps you held down. Because when the sun sets you free, you're free indeed, right? And what does that mean? When the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. It's an absolute. If Jesus Christ has set you free, you are bound by nothing. Now this doesn't give you the ability to go out and do whatever you want to. Because if you're truly someone who believes in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you have the Holy Spirit that's residing in you, and the Holy Spirit is the one that controls our conduct on a minute-to-minute basis. Well, since I don't have to follow the law, does that mean I can do whatever I want to? The Apostle Paul said all things are lawful. But he also said not all things are profitable. So for us as individuals who, who, who have died in Christ... Yes, you can go out and do anything that you want to. If you are in Christ, guess what your whatever you want to will be? It'll be the things that God wants them to be. It'll be according to the life that he has presented to us. So when we run around in the world and decide that we're going to take care of accumulating all of the things that are going to make us happy, accumulating all of the things that are going to settle us, accumulating all the things that are going to give us the securities in life, then you will find yourself an old person one day who turns around and sees that the only thing that you did in your entire life was ran. That's all you did was ran. And if we find ourselves running so much for ourselves, then we do very little running for anyone else. And did Christ set us free so that we can bask in our freedom? Or did he set us free so that we may set others free too? He set us free so that we may set others free too. Through the same gospel message that set us free. Because I can promise you, you spend very much time in the flesh. And I mean, apart from Christ, detached from him, hospitality is out the window. Because it's all going to, the only thing that's going to matter is how in a person's Uh, influence or a person's existence in your life is going to affect you. I can tell you as a Christian, most everything that you come across that God asks you to do is inconvenient. It's inconvenient. There are people in the world today who are running around and sleeping with anything that stands on two legs and there are even people now, it's getting popular these days, they don't even have to stand on two legs, they can stand on four. As sick as that is, the truth. We are twisted. The heart of man is wicked. And without us having Christ 
in our lives with the Holy Spirit controlling us, we will defile marriage and we will defile the marriage bed. We will. We will have our wants overrule our needs and we won't give a second thought to what it is that takes in order for us to be able to accomplish the things that we want. Do you ever think that maybe you're where you're at because God wants you there? Why else would he ask us to be content with what we have? What, how could it change our circumstances if we were individuals that had everything that we wanted? Here's the way I look at it, folks. If I had everything that I wanted that I know God didn't want me to have, I would be doing everything that God didn't want me to do. It's a fact. Otherwise, why does, he not want me to, why does he not want me to have it? If he wants me to have it, will I get it? And if we get it, and he wants us to have it, he knows that we can be responsible with it. He knows that it will accomplish in his plan and purpose what it is that he's trying to accomplish. Instead of it being legality-driven, instead of it being selfish as far as the benefit... Let me ask you something. If I follow the law, if I follow the law, how does that benefit you? You get no benefit from that, do you? I mean, right off the bat, the question answers the purpose. It's not that we're not supposed to care about morality. It's not that we're not supposed to care about ethics. We are supposed to care about those things. But we're supposed to care, care about them to the, to the degree that the Holy Spirit leads and directs us. And a lot of people think that we're weirdos. Because it's like, what? You think you're supposed to live this life in Christ when, when the Holy, Holy Ghost speaks to you? Yes. That doesn't mean you're not supposed to learn the Word of God because the Holy Spirit will use the Word of God in order to, in order to be the rudder to the direction in life. It gives us a blueprint for life but then as we're walking through life, God expects us to be individuals who are living out the things that we're learning in the purposes and the plan that God has set before us that we're on. The problem with the law is it's too vague. I even speak on personal experience. For the most part, the Levitical law wants people to follow 10 rules. In your life as a Christian, has God's expectation for you in your everyday life, have they ever been shrunk down to 10 rules? Or has God expected us to conduct our lives in such a way as it's multiplied many, many times more than that in each and every application? But you see, the difference is, it's not a written law that says I'm going to benefit from it. Matter of fact, Jesus, he blows those expectations up to the point and actually makes us individuals who want to be those people. And instead of it benefiting us, it benefits everyone else. Because the application of the gospel is supposed to do just that. We benefit from it. And God wants other people to benefit from it as well. Matter of fact, he wants everyone else to benefit from it first. How am I supposed to treat everybody? Better than I do myself. It's a biblical concept. So it doesn't relieve us of responsibility, 
this relationship that we have in God and remembering his, where, what his place is, where he's supposed to be in our lives, it's a protection against selfishness. Verse 7, it says, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today, yes, and forever. You notice he doesn't say, um, those who speak the word to you, you imitate them. He says, pay attention to the way that that manifests itself. And if it manifests itself in the way that the truth speaks it, then imitate that person. Leaders. What's the problem with imitating leaders, especially in that day? You ever hear the phrase, head off the snake? This would have been a Timothy situation. That's what they would have seen it as. Because Paul is living his life step by step, day by day, as faithfully as he possibly can. And what does it get him? Imprisonment and eventually beheaded. You want to imitate that guy? All of our answers should be yes. Jesus gave us life so that we may live even when we die. But if we come to Christ and didn't give our lives up at that altar, then we didn't really come to Christ. Because that's what he's called us to. He's called us to be people who are shredded on the inside when we face the fallen world and when we face the temptations and we face the struggles and we face the difficulties, that conflict that's inside. I have people come to me all the time and they say, man, I question my salvation. And I'm like, well, then you're saved. They're like, well, what? Question, you ever heard of a lost person questioning their salvation? They don't do it. Because how can you question something that you don't have? Now, if you want to sit down and talk, I'll make sure that they understand who Jesus is. But lost people do not conflict when it comes to morality in their lives versus what God has told us clearly he expects from us. Don't worry if you struggle. Worry if you fail a lot. But don't worry if you struggle. Because if you're a Christian today and you aren't struggling, you're doing something wrong. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Did Jesus change any at all? Did he shift his positions on things when he was persecuted, pressured, chased for his life? about to be beat beyond recognition, about to be nailed to a tree. Did he change the person that he was? Or did he stay the person that he was? He stayed the person that he was for 33 and a half years, and it didn't matter what the circumstances were. If he was tempted, he stayed the person that he was. 
If he was tested, he stayed the person that he was. If he was threatened, he stayed the person that he was. If he was persecuted, he stayed the person that he was. While he was being nailed to the tree, he stayed the person that he was. And this is what the world needs. This is what God's purpose is in our lives, is to be individuals who are steady. Yeah, we're human. You're going to get a little bit of a roller coaster ride out of this. You're going to wake up some days where you don't want to get out of bed. But the truth is, if we wake up in the morning and don't want to get out of bed, where's our faith? If we're doing all that we can to be faithful, and God knows this, then why do we worry? I don't know what God's plan is for me for my entire life any more than you know what God's plan is for you for your entire life. He didn't ask me to worry about my tomorrow, did he? Just worry about my now. Worry about the circumstances that I'm living in now. Worry about the person that I'm going to walk past this afternoon. Worry about the circumstances that I'm going to face in the present. Do I even know if tomorrow's going to come? Not one of us know. We could be one person down by sundown this morning, or this evening, out of the people in the sanctuary. We could be multiple people down by sundown this evening. We don't know what God's bringing us to until we get there. But I can tell you, sometimes the journey is difficult just to get us where God's trying to get us to. My dad used to say, and I'm sure many of you have heard it before, whatever don't kill you makes you stronger. Verse 9. Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods through which those who were thus occupied were not benefited. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are, are, buried, are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside of the gate. Hence, let us go out to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. Ooh, that's huge. Let's go with him outside of the camp. Bearing what? Bearing his reproach. Churches today, they focused more inward or more outward? It's a pretty simple question. Most every church that you're a part of today, do they focus more inward or do they focus more outward? Outward or inward. They focus more inward than they do outward. The world wants us to continue to be individuals who are rule followers. They did sacrifices inside the camp. 
and believed that those sacrifices forgave sins. But we also know that this very book says, in the blood of of goats and bulls, the Lord does not delight. So the question is, what was it that the Lord was delighted in if he was not delighted in the blood of those goats and bulls? And the answer to that question is faith. It was a person having the faith to be willing to make the journey that they had to make with their favorite, most prized, most valuable animal and then to be willing to sacrifice it. Because when God asks us to do something that costs us much, the proof of faith is in the act of following. Abraham. He was saved. But wait a minute, preacher. Jesus wasn't here yet. So how did Abraham get saved? Abraham believed God and it was accredited to him as righteousness. Pack it all up, Abraham. I'm going to take you to a place that I will show you. And with all the faith we can muster, what question do we ask him? Where are we going? Do we have a right to ask that question? If he is my God and he says, pack it all up, I'm going to take you to a place that I will show you. Do you ask him where you're going? Or do you start packing it up? I wonder if Abraham knew all of the troubles and difficulties and challenges and struggles that he would face on that journey. And it makes you wonder where the question why or where even comes from. Because if somebody asks that question, what are they really worried about? Self. What if what if God says, We say, Where, God? Where where you you're gonna take me to a place that you will show me? Where are you taking me? And God says, I'm gonna take you to some of the most dangerous country that you've ever seen in your life and will ever see again. Would it change your mind about packing up? In most cases it would. So it's a measure of faith. And how much is a measure of faith? It's something that has to grow. It's something that God encourages us to be individuals who continues to try him. He's basically saying, trust me. Just trust me. Trust me and see how it turns out. But then the scratching and the clawing inside of us begins to happen. Because the struggle enters us that says, who is it that's taking care of you? Be responsible. But hope all things in Christ. Verse 14 says, For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. How many of you guys are hoping one day to hit those pearly gates 
to live in that kingdom forever. But I have a hillbilly question for you. Do you get to seek the best life here and the best life there? Do you get to chase after the best life that this fallen world can offer you and the best life that Jesus Christ has given us? And the answer to that question is no. Now, can you live the best life? Absolutely. If you're centered in Christ and you have faith, you can live the best life on this planet. But as a fallen individual, you're going to spend a lot of that time learning lessons and being miserable. But it's the faith we have in Christ that takes us out of the misery. It's the blessing that Jesus Christ himself gives that makes it all worth it. Life at its fullest, it's about walking by faith and not by sight. Because when we get to where we walk by sight, what do you see? Misery, pain, sickness, suffering, death, debt. But when we walk by faith, we get to live that life to its fullest that Jesus Christ says that he brought. Not just to bring life eternal, but to bring it at its fullest. So you can live a life that's entirely, completely, and totally sacrificial and still be happier than the richest person on the planet. It's a paradigm. It's something that makes no sense to people. No different than anything else about a Christian. When we should be falling apart, we hold it together. When we make mistakes, we apologize. We're willing to admit to people that we're no better than they are, just better off than they are. Because the better off part doesn't come through our efforts, it came through the efforts of Jesus Christ himself. When he died, a perfect man and made himself the sacrifice for who we are called to be. Here we do not have a lasting city, but we're seeking the city which is to come. Can life here be fun? Yes. Even in Christ? Absolutely. Do you think it even holds a candle to the one that we've been promised? Not even close. Because here he's given us understanding, the ability to be able to live in the midst of all of the struggles and difficulties. There he's promised us that all of them will be removed. I, for one, dealing with the things that I dealt with in life for my entire life, not only my burdens, but the burdens of other people, I can't wait to see sin get its throat cut. I can't wait. I can't wait to see the devil get what he's got coming to him. I can't wait to see the demons pay the price for all of the pain and suffering that I have witnessed in my entire lifetime. That existence is there. It's not here. Satan's still the prince and power of the air of this world. Jesus has not fully completed his work here. Because when he's done with it, he's going to come get those that belong to him and he's going to destroy everything else. 
So he gives us a compassionate heart that helps us to look at individuals who are caught and trapped in all of the filthiness that Satan himself has trapped them in. He gives us the ability to be able to hate a sin without hating the sinner. And not only not hating the sinner, but having such a loving compassion for them that we're actually cautious about reaching them and intent on reaching them. Because as much as I've seen other people in their lives suffer because of Satan, because of sin, because of his influence, when I look at someone who's trapped in a sin, that person is the most miserable of all. Because I'm just feeling what's flaking off of them. They're the ones that are feeling, and everybody tells me, well, they really don't know. I believe that they do. I believe that God himself creating us, we know in our heart of hearts, and I can support it with scripture, when we are contrary to our creator, when we're settling into a life, why do you think people become so offensive when you bring the name of Jesus up? Because that was something for the longest time made no sense to me. It's literally like you're thirsting to death, somebody brings you a glass of water and you punch them in the nose. Are you dying of starvation? And somebody bringing you a plate of food and you kicking them in the shins. Why is Jesus taking such a bad rap in the world that we live in? Why do people hate him so much? I believe it's because they know he's real. They don't like not be the idea of not being in control of their own lives. They don't like the idea of them being held accountable and responsible to a creator for the people that they are. But sadder than that, I think there's a lot of people who say that they're believers in Jesus Christ who do the exact same thing. I look around in the world today. 80%. Asked this question last week. 80% of the people in this country say that they believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That they believe in Jesus Christ. 80%. Do you believe that's true? There's no, no evidence of that, is there? Let's drop that way down. What do you say? Let's say half of the world. Is there any evidence of that being true? wait a minute, I just shaved 30% off of the average of individuals who have spoken. You mean to tell me you don't think 50% of the people in the world who say that they believe in Jesus really believe in Jesus? There's no evidence of it, is there? There's no evidence of that. We have people who take positions based on the way it's going to affect them financially. Based on the way it's going to affect them personally. The real believer is the one who's looking at how it's going to affect everyone else. The genuine believer has compassion for the person. 
who is apart from Christ. Not hatred. Not disdain. The genuine believer holds steady. Holds steady to what, preacher? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were wallowing around in the cesspool of our sin, Jesus was pouring his blood out on our behalf. So how should we feel about the person out there? Based on Jesus' example, how should we feel about the person that's out there who's caught in their sin? Because we've become so high and mighty to think that he was only talking to us. What about while they are yet sinners? Christ died for them. Is that true? Jesus' number one purpose, seek and save the lost. If that is our Savior, if that is our Savior's first and foremost responsibility, the one thing that he says that he came first and foremost to accomplish, what should be every believer's first and foremost? Seek and save the lost, right? But we resort to the rules. The rules that make us feel better. Write a check to the church. That's a check mark. Feel good about yourself. You can give money to the church. You can be faithful in every aspect of your life, but if you aren't telling people about Jesus, just how faithful are you? And you know what I believe the truth is? Less than 5% of the people who are Christians do it. Can we prove it to you? Don't answer it. When's the last time you personally shared your faith with somebody? Personally. And I don't want to know the answer to that because I believe it would break my heart. I really do. And this isn't me giving you a hard time. I'm talking about Christians in general as a whole. If you pulled a whole bunch of Christians together in the same building and you asked that same question and they answered it, I believe wholeheartedly the answer would break my heart. He came to seek and save the lost. And what do we run around in the world doing? Living by a list of rules just to make us feel better. And the crazy thing is, we do make ourselves feel better. And I know that because we'll continue to do the list of things that make us feel better while continuing not to tell anybody about Jesus. So you tell me, if the life that Jesus Christ has called us to in its physical manifestation has given us peace and hope and comfort without sharing the faith is everything in the right order it's not doesn't matter what we're going through folks yeah I'll validate that as a Christian you're going to go through things 
And I've told every person that I've led to the Lord that if anybody ever told them that they're coming into this life to make things easier, they were lied to. Because if we've entered into this relationship with Jesus Christ and in this life, and things for us got easier, we really are doing it wrong. And there is so much stuff that's out of order. We've been called to suffer. It's crazier. Look at verse 15. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of the lips that give thanks to his name. That's almost sounds as crazy as rejoicing in your, trib- in your tribulations. That's insanity, right? Why should you give thanks, even in the circumstances where life is that hard? Because again, folks, if we're going through life and struggling about our circumstances when we're doing all that we can to be faithful... We just have a problem with God's plan. It's that simple. Is my God big enough to remove me from bad circumstances? Is he big enough to take me out of difficult circumstances? Can he prevent me from facing any challenge or struggle that he wants to? Follow-up questions. Is my God unusually cruel? Does he hate my guts? Then when I'm in those places in my life where I'm frustrated or where I am being clawed up on the inside by the conflict, the problem's not my circumstances. The problem is I'm not okay with the place that God called me to at the moment. And personally, I think that's the chiefest of all sins. Said it a lot. I'll say it again. You see it on bumper stickers. If God brought you to it, he'll bring you through it. And it dawned on me when I read that one day. Why is it that we find ourselves in those places where God brought you to it? The first thing we look for is how to get out of it. instead of us realizing that God brought us to it. Now stop, pray, and take a look around and try to find out why. Because it's the only thing that works. Because he's asked us, pack it all up. I'm going to take you to a place that I will show you. And he wants us to have the faith to just walk through those difficulties without wondering where we're going and what circumstances we're going to face. All he wants, folks, is to reach the lost. And in doing that, we just have to do one thing. Trust him. That's it. You want me to say what? Trust me. You want me to do what? Trust me. You want me to go where? Just 
Trust me. You ever try to talk one of your kids into jumping off of something into your hands? That's what I see us as Christians. To them, you can put them on a five-foot dresser. And to them, they're 20 feet off the ground. You say jump, and you see them. And what do we say to them? Trust me. To them, they're going to fall to their death, and they know it. But we say, trust me. How many of you hadn't had a little kid who once you said, trust me, I'll catch you, didn't eventually just bail off believing that you would catch him? You see, this is why Jesus held kids in such a high esteem. This is why he said, unless you become like one of these little children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Because in everything that we face, all he's saying is, trust me. But the interesting thing is, once you realize that the things that are happening to you in life are not happening to you, they're happening through you, now your entire perspective on life changes. And regardless of your circumstances, regardless of your difficulties, you then have the ability to praise his name and to have thanks on your lips for the God that he is. If you're here today, you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, come down here and tell me if the Holy Spirit leads you. Just say you want to be saved. I'll spend whatever time necessary to be able to sit down with you and to talk to you about Jesus, who he is, and exactly how it is that he can save you. Believer, I believe there was a little nugget in this message for every one of us. And I'm only responsible to speak the truth. I'm not responsible to make you carry it out. But my prayer is that that truth and what God may spoke to you spoke to you today about, that you'll leave this place having a conversation with him during this invitation time, that you'll leave this place with every bit of the desire to apply, not what this preacher said, but what Jesus may have said to you through it, to your life. And I can't wait to see what he does with it. Amen. Thank you, Brother Keith. And for those listening on the podcast, I want to offer that same opportunity to you to come to the Lord. If you've never placed your trust in Jesus, now is the time to do so. By default, we are all sinners separated from God, and there is nothing we can do on our own to fix that. That's why God sent His only Son, Jesus, to come live a life without sin. He was put to death on a cross as a perfect sacrifice for that sin. And to seal the deal, He came back from the dead three days later. If you truly believe that and ask Him into your heart, you will be saved. If you're already a believer, this is a great opportunity to recenter your life in Christ. Take these next few minutes in prayer, and I'll be praying for you as well.
Thanks again for listening. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, discipleship, or if you have prayer requests, you can visit us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. Have a blessed week and go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Highland Gospel Mission was produced by Zach Link with preaching by Keith Perrin. Music provided by Pixabay under Creative Commons.